0: Shalom, and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro.
1: Well, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to a very special Exploring the Parsha class slash podcast. Uh, you, this is getting posted, I think, on New Year's Day, so Happy New Year! Uh, we've all made it to 2021, uh, except for the three of us who are who are still in 2020. We don't know what has happened between uh, the 23rd and when you're listening to this.
2: Christmas, probably.
1: Christmas. Uh, by now, everyone has watched Wonder Woman 1984. Hopefully it was good. Um, aliens, maybe. Who knows? Uh but we're still here. It's December twenty-third, and we're recording uh uh for the Parsha of Vayechi, uh wrapping up Breaksheet, wrapping up the book of Genesis. It is myself and Rabbi Rebecca Schatz, who is immensely proud of herself in this moment because she surprised me with our our guest for today, Rabbi Sarah Baruch, uh uh CPE supervisor. Uh, associate, not quite associate. What is it? What is it? There's the a family 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 medical Canada. center and yes, also my wife. And so mother Rabbi, of your children. And, well, I mean, yes. I think I think so. Uh so Rabbi shot surprised Me and with And mother of your children. <laughs> <laughs> um Rabbi shot surprised Me with Rabbi Barrow. And I'm delighted to see both of them. And Rabbi Schatz is very pleased with herself. So (laughs) uh, anything else before we get started, rabbis? No. Great. great. Outstanding. Do you want to make me co-host so I can do the thing where I share the verses? Mm
2: -hmm. Sorry. I didn't want to make you co-host before because Sarah was a surprise. So, okay. Yes.
1: All right. Where'd the verses go? I think they're here there's my notes all right so we are
2: can i just say one thing sorry before you might be saying this but i just want to point this out i say two things well thanks in case people don't know the names of the parsio this is the last parsha brashit so uh the three rabbis on this call will be discussing the last parsha before then next week when we meet in person uh when we will be in the first parsha in person I mean in person, like we'll be able to see people. Um, <laughs>
1: um very uh, optimistic sense of what's gonna be happening in twenty twenty one.
2: It all will go away. Um we'll be talking about Schmutz. So this is uh unfortunately the last Parsha of Braysheet, a great book.
1: One one of the top five of all time. <laughs> um and, and and to that end, uh we were talking about which verses to do, and after some back and forth, we've landed on the last three verses of the book. Um, no, no formal commitment, but I wonder what it might be like if we were to do this um, for the end of each of the books, because I, I do think it's interesting when when we come to the end of a unit, right, to sort of see how things wrap up um, and to potentially look back and, and see what that might say symbolically about where we've been and what What uh, it foreshadows for what lays ahead, which we'll definitely see um, in terms of that second piece for the last verse um, of Brashit. But let's catch up on our narrative here. Um, (laughs) To you, it was a week ago, but to us, it was literally yesterday uh, when we were talking about how we know in the narrative that Jacob is coming down to see Joseph, um, that he's come down to see Joseph, Um, at this point now, um, Jacob has shared words of blessing, kind of mostly blessing to each of his, uh, sons and Jacob, um, Jacob dies over the course of the last chapter. Um, we hear about first how, um, Jacob is buried back in, um, Canaan, right? They, they bring and. Rabbi Shatz and I talked about exploring these verses and pivoted away from them. Um, I'm
2: going to bring them up, so don't worry. Great. Uh,
1: So more on these shortly. Um, (laughs) Joseph brings, uh, Joseph and a whole host of other folks bring Jacob back up to be buried back in Canaan. After Jacob has been buried, there's still some back and forth between Joseph and his brothers, and um, because, well, as we know, things weren't great between them for a long time. And Joseph's brothers are worried. What if Joseph is still angry at us? But Joseph um, pretty magnanimously says, right, his brothers say to him in verse 18, we're prepared to be your slaves. Joseph says um, it, it basically it, it's OK. This is how things Uh, needed to work out and did work out and spoke kindly to them. Um, And here now we move right into the end of the book. Um, Verse 22, and I'll, I'll pick up on this shortly. Verse 22 says, Joseph lived 110 years, which we're going to hear again in a moment. Um, he lived to see some children and, and children of children, right? He's got to see grandkids, which is lovely. And now we're getting to the three verses we're going to be focusing in on. So this is chapter 50, verses 24, 25, 26. Vayomer Yosef Joseph said to his brothers, interesting brothers, right? That specific brother specifically, I am dying, elohim v'elohim pakod yivkod etchem. God will... Surely take notice of you, right? The repeated verb is interesting to me. The etchem min and he will lift you up from this land. El Ha'aretz asher nishpal Avraham liitzchak wil Yaakov. To the land, um, that, that was promised to Avraham liitzchak and Yaakov. Um, linguistic note, this is the first time that we actually see the avot all clustered together in this way, which is interesting. Vayishba Yosef El B'nai Yisrael Limor. Oh, Vayashba, right? Important to note the the grammatical construction there because he makes B'nai Yisrael, he makes them promise. P'kod Yifkad Elohim etchem vahalitem et atzmotay m'izeh. When God has taken notice of you, you shall carry my bones out from here. So after I die, and, and interesting here in distinction from what has happened with Jacob, right? He was able to get Jesus, Jacob buried back in the land, but but different for him. So he makes them promise instead that you will take my bones out, uh, up from Egypt when you go back to the land. ben And he died when he was 110 years old. Uh, and they embalmed him and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. The end. Tune in next <laughs> week for more.
2: I saw I saw someone write about how um the different last word of each book of Torah. And um I didn't I didn't focus too much on it because it wasn't helping me with the point I was trying to make, but the the last uh, word of Brashid is Mitsrayim, and the last word of Deuteronomy of Dvarim is Israel. Uh and just an interesting kind of way of thinking about how far we come from one book to the last. Um
1: well to to to, to hang on that just for one second because yeah. I was gonna I was gonna get into that later, but I can oh. I can foreground it now. Yeah, great. Um, I saw somebody, it, it's in its time and I saw somebody else talk about it a little bit as well, that if, if you look at the last word of each of the five books, um, it breaks down as, where did I have it? I have it somewhere in here. The last, um, word in each of the books, last book word is, uh, um, Egypt journeys, Sinai, Jericho, Israel.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: So like if you look at that as like a through line, and this yeah. is this is part of right. This is part of why I think it's interesting to like focus in on, on the last bit of the book. Mm-hmm. That that's the whole narrative, right? We're in Egypt, we take a journey, we receive Torah, yeah. we have an encounter with pe- with other people, and then we move into the land. Right. So it, it's it's yeah. interesting to see how like in very, very microcosm. Um you know, that, that one last word sort of embodies a larger a larger narrative that's unfolding.
2: Yeah. Um okay, so this is usually the moment in which we ask for kushiyot, which I am not going to um pressure Rabbi Baruch into doing, but if she has any, she is welcome to share. Um <clears throat> I will start by saying that I I think maybe Rabbi Shapiro, you and I can
1: You're glitching. Sarah, is she glitching for you, too?
0: She is. She is frozen. Frozen. Oh, no. She looks like she's sleeping, standing up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Very Uh ugly,
1: of course. You froze up.
2: I thought that you froze. So I say in the podcast, which everyone will now hear, you're frozen. Oh, no, maybe I'm frozen. So I'm glad we figured that out. Um, I was frozen. Anyway, so usually we do um, cushy out at this point. And so I was thinking that maybe, Rabbi Shapiro, you and I could share the things that we thought about um, since for last week's slash yesterday's podcast. We didn't do that, but then took two different approaches. Um, So I think it might be interesting for us to lay out what our kushiot were. And then if Rabbi Baruch wants to add, she is more than welcome to. Um, Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? By all means. Okay. Um, Can you make it a little bit smaller so I can see all three of the verses at once? Thanks. Okay. So my biggest, no, no, no. My biggest, my biggest question, (laughs) Rabbi Shapiro. Yes, ma'am. My biggest question um, is around this, this moment of, actual burial um which is why i had the question about those verses that you went over before like what does what does it do for us to focus on the way in which he was buried um we know that later on obviously moshe has a part in in um in kind of the outcome of how he was buried, but why is it important now for us to think about that? Uh, And going back to those other verses, it seems to be that it's not just for the Jews, but it's actually for everybody in his midst, um, which is also extremely interesting to me in terms of the camaraderie and the communal aspect of bringing together both the Hebrews at this point and the um, Egyptians, the non-Hebrews, and then just one kind of technical piece that I won't spend as much time on, but it says in verse 25, at B'nai Israel," and some commentators think that's literally the children of Israel, but this is actually one of the first times because Israel because Jacob, I'm sorry, uh, died recently that, that it could be that it is B'nai Israel, the people of Israel, but it also could be B'nai Israel, the children of Jacob, who also was right. named Israel. Um, and I find that really fascinating. So those are the things that I'm gonna talk about. I'm also gonna talk about the use of Ben Mitzrayim, uh, the fact that he was embalmed, but then he was put in, uh, a casket in Egypt, which is not typically how an embalming, uh, goes. So
1: those are my, those were my cushy. Yeah, I'd push, I mean, my question pushes, I think, one of your questions further, which is just why, why didn't they just take him and bury him the way they did with Jacob?
2: Yeah, exactly. Right,
1: like, like they, they just, there didn't seem to be an obstacle to doing that. So why does there need to be this whole situation where he's going to stay here and then it's going to be a while and then he needs to get taken out, right? Yeah. What? Well, why? <laughs> just st- 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 right, shortest distance between two points is a straight line. You want to be buried in Eretz Just just go and get buried in Eretz yeah. Um That doesn't seem um, particularly clear um, to me. And I, I found a couple of interesting pieces on that. <clears throat> I, I do think um, I I didn't notice it until it was pointed out. I think it's interesting to notice that right when we when we know that nothing is in the Torah for no reason that in verse twenty two it's mentioned that you know he lived for a hundred and ten years, and so why why again in verse twenty six I didn't find anything particularly great on that but i'll I'll yeah. offer it up as a question if um either of you have a thought um
2: is it written exactly the same way in hebrew
1: in in twenty two it's um, by Yosef shanim, and then in verse twenty-six, it's by emot Yosef ben shanim. Right? That's so, fascinating. I mean,
2: the idea yeah. of living for that many years or dying for that many years after that many years—I should say.
1: Right. So it's so that's interesting.
2: It's like the Chayyeh Sarah drash that every rabbi at some point gives of why is it called Chayyeh Sarah if it's about her death?
0: Well, you bringing up Sarah leads me to my question about the text. Yeah if you're done, Rabbi Shapiro. <laughs> I'm
1: Can't done, please. Rabbi Burroughs.
0: <laughs> well, I couldn't help but notice the word pakod really stood out to me. And I remember it from the Sarah narrative because at the time, right before Sarah is about to conceive, it says that God, however you want to translate that word, um, you know, remembers Sarah, takes note of Sarah. And there's a debate with the commentators as far as how we translate that word. Um, and one of the interpretations is um, that God... Um, sought to ease her infertility or help her with her infertility. And I think it's an interesting parallel with this text here, thinking about, um, you know, this transfer, um, you know, moving on from one generation to the next and this kind of blessing for the people who ultimately come from Sarah um, as this, you know, one of the sources um, that God takes note of them or will take note of them. And so that was just something that caught my eye when
1: I was reading these three verses. In terms of like that that specific verse and how it harkens back to where it goes all the way back in the narrative,
0: yeah, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I w- I w- I thought the I noticed that that verb as well. Like, and again, especially because it's it's said right identically in in both verses twenty four and twenty five. Right, so that strong, um, you know, linguistic echo. Um, is is certainly interesting. It's interesting that it harkens back, and I was also seeing how it harkens forward a little bit too. When right when when God calls to, to Moshe, and it's interesting we were we, we were talking about this um, Rabbi shots yesterday last week. H- however, people are listening, or, or if you're listening to the podcast, word <laughs> in the week to come, um, whatever. But that we were talking about the the Hineni piece.
2: Yeah, yeah, right.
1: With with Yaakov responding to him, and then Moshe, um, that when God is speaking with Moshe um, in chapter three um, of Shemot, that that he uses the pachod yuf code um, there as well.
2: To get back to Rabbi Baruch's point for just a second, the um, the idea of the, I had not remembered that it was used in that way with Sarah, but in thinking about it, there is kind of a a moment of ease here that that word is trying to convey around Joseph's death. Now it's possible that he was a little too full of himself to assume that the brothers needed that, but there is a sense of, of like a a caring or a support that's going to come from God, even once he's no longer around uh, and has been providing that for them, at least in the most immediate past. Uh, And I wonder if those things somehow kind of come together in terms of the just the values that Sarah shared in her kind of care and mothering of of this future nation uh, that they should then feel even after he's long gone, but in their perpetual kind of movement forward of of the people. I never thought about that before, but I really like it. Rabbi Shapiro, do you want to jump in?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I, I get sort of along the lines of of remembering. I'll I'll pick back up the question I was asking around like what, why why not just go right? Why not why not just go yeah. and bury him back in there? It's gonna. i and I I found <laughs> I found one I found one practical answer that's like okay yeah that makes sense. Uh, mm.
2: I just stopped it so we could see each other.
1: Oh. I was like, where'd you go? I thought, I thought I got kicked out of Zim. Oh, hello. <laughs>
2: um,
1: I found one practical answer. I was like, sure, yeah, sure. And, and one answer that, that makes a little less practical sense, but I think makes nicer, like psycho-spiritual sense within the, um, narrative. So the, the practical answer that I found was, was from, uh, was in the Tor commentary. And he basically just says, um, he didn't make them swear that they would take take his remains back up to Canaan right away because they knew, right? Because he knew and the brothers knew what a powerful, right, official he was in Egypt. And so therefore it's different than just having some, some random person who they didn't necessarily know and being like, okay, sure. Bury him if you want to bury him somewhere else, that's fine. J- Joseph was still a really powerful person and it looks very different to take like a dignitary of a land and go have him buried somewhere else. So I think that's an astute comment, like, you know, logistically that probably makes sense that if he's such an important person immediately after he dies to say, we want to do things differently, that that probably wouldn't work. So on a logistics level, yeah. Right. I, I could see that making sense. I found a lovely midrash that, um, it basically it's, so it's from Midrash Tan Huma, And it said, um, Joseph said to them, our father descended voluntarily and I took him back while I was brought here against my will. Therefore swear to me that you will return me to the place where you caused me to be sold. So I, I really like that sort of conceptually because it's, you know, uh, on the resonance with Jacob, Jacob came down of his own will, and so he was sort of a- able to then go-, go back up, right, as it were, in the way that he wanted to. Whereas this is more kind of conscripted, just as Joseph was um, ha- had to come down because his brothers made him go down. So too, now, in order for him to go back up, right, he needs his brothers' assistance. But for me, there's there's a larger resonance there that I think is really lovely, which is, you know, and Rabbi Shatz, I know you were curious in terms of some of these verses when we think about concepts of burial and and thinking about death in terms of like the work that you're doing at Chaver Kedusha, and I know you've been thinking about that a lot. Um, but when we think about this idea of Chesed Shel Amat, right, that the way that we take care of the people who have passed away is doing them a kindness that that can never be repaid. And so that it's true loving kindness, dovetailing that with, you know, a a redemptive moment for the brothers, right? Continuing that redemption narrative that you, you messed up, you messed up really, really big. And we have mostly reconciled. And there's one more thing that you can do for me to sort of Finally, complete that circle. And just as you made me come down here, now that I'm dying, it's going to be on you to make sure I go back up. um And so, when we think about a narrative cycle coming to an end and a book coming to an end, I just think it's a beautiful midrash. I just think it hits the nail right on the head in terms of thinking about um, like like bringing those to sort of a satisfying like emotional conclusion. Almost, I just think it's really nice.
0: And I'll just add to that, you know, I think, um, this theme of, you know, caring for the dead, there's no greater mitzvah, um, you know, there is a challenge to really, um, show care and respect during their lifetime. And like you said, they did reconcile and, you know, find some closure, but, um, this final act that has no, um, ability to be repaid or appreciated in any kind of way from the individual, which is why honoring the dead is the greatest mitzvah there is, um, really says something about their path to chuva. I think like you're hinting at, yeah. yeah.
1: Does that, Rabbi Shasta, does that line up with anything you were thinking about in terms of stuff earlier in the chapter about...
2: Well, things
1: thematically. Yes, and it's
2: so much nicer than the Gemara piece that I found. Oh, good. Um, (laughs) Because the Gemara piece I found, which is from Brachot, talks about why Joseph dies first as opposed to other brothers. Like, why is Joseph the first brother to to die? Um, And it talks about how like he felt superiority over them, uh, but I really—I'm I, not gonna even bring that because I really like your piece, and I hope that we focus on that piece uh, more so than the other piece. Um, yeah, I, I. So I'll bring in these few verses. I'll share my screen so I can see them at the same time as I can see the two of you. Um, so the the pieces for me, and I told Rabbi Shapiro that I was going to be a little bit more drashy today than than I normally am, but. The pieces that really stuck out to me were these moments where Pharaoh, Pharaoh is literally saying to Joseph, I will do anything you need with all of my people and all of my things to make sure that you grieve and you have time to take care of your father. And we're going to be there with you, which even in our own society today, you know, when we bury someone in the Jewish tradition, we don't. We don't typically say to a pastor or someone who we might have a connection with to bring their community also, even, even if we, we might feel like they, um, would have something to add to the, um, the dignity of that funeral or bringing that person, uh, some kind of blessing. And I, I just think it's such a beautiful image. I told Rabbi Shapiro that I, I got a little bit teary-eyed when I when I realized that we were done with the book of or the story of Joseph. Um, because I think it's a very powerful uh story and also reminds me of beautiful music, and so the two combined, it's not it's not a hard thing to make me cry with that. Um but here it says this is chapter 50 verses 2 through 8. Um so it says then Joseph ordered the physicians in his service to embalm his father and the physicians embalmed Israel. So we're going to go back to that in a second because
1: Oh, uh, are you going to do a Jacob Israel thing?
2: No, no, I'm I mean I'm not over it but like no, I'm not going to do that. And Pharaoh said go up and bury your father as he made you a, made you promise an oath. Right? Pharaoh's the one telling Joseph to do this and and Pharaoh has nothing to do with the the traditions or the rituals, though, the commentators like to talk about how this was an Egyptian ritual, not a Jewish one. So Joseph went up to bury his father and with him went all of the officials of Pharaoh, the senior members of his court and all of Egypt's dignitaries, together with all of Joseph's household and brothers and all the people who we would expect to be there. Um, it doesn't say that in the Torah. That was Rebecca Shots. But... I, I, I like
1: just, I like how you're finding a way to talk about the verses that you wanted to talk about. Even though
2: no, 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 I'm going to <laughs> bring, bring it back. No, you're right. There's not a lot of commentaries on this, so there's not much to say about it other than I think that it's a powerful um, image to think about who we gather together for that last moment of a person's life. And how in the verses that we actually are talking about today, uh, that it's the brothers for whom Joseph still goes to and says, this is what we need to do for our father. But Pharaoh is really the one who puts it into motion. And for some reason, that to me is a is a very, really, very powerful image, especially in a world today that, that seems so divided by religion and culture, um, that to have Pharaoh kind of behind that is, is to me... A, a really interesting piece of Torah.
1: Um, well, if you, it's it's also interesting, you know. When and I think you named this at the beginning when we were talking about these verses. When in verse twenty four it says his brothers, and in verse twenty five it says Bnei Israel. It's like, is it like, is it Davka the brothers, right? Is it is it the other eleven, right, or is it broader? And when it says Bnei Israel, is it the other eleven or is it? And also more people, right? right, right. And, and it, to me, it seems almost intentionally ambiguous, right? Like the, the Torah knows that when we hear B'nai Israel it can mean more than one thing. Um, and, and as you're saying, I do think it's powerful. I think it's powerful to have the image of, and this goes back to the Midrash piece that I was sharing a little bit. It's powerful for me to think about that for someone who had such fraught issues with his brothers, that when he's... Leaving the world he's surrounded by these by these people who he's sort of at long last reaching you know some some sort of full full reconnection with um and also hopefully he's surrounded by more people too right and hopefully well and he's
2: surrounded by his family but also the people that he's chosen to be his family right maybe maybe because his brothers put him in a situation, but Pharaoh and pharaoh's court have really become his family, his people, and the fact that he's able You're to- You're saying
1: be- when he, when he's mourning his father.
2: When he's yes, yeah, yeah, That he's able to bring all those people together to to be his family. And then when it comes time for his own death, you know, he brings together his actual biological family. But to go back to the B'nai Yisrael piece, it says Banav one verse before, right? So, or maybe it's not one verse before. Uh, anyway, a few verses before it says, (laughs) it says Banav, right? Which could have been used if we were talking about Jacob's children, right? When it says B'nai Israel, that seems to like leave Joseph out of his own family. Um, anyway, just, just a B'nai Israel piece that you picked up on, but, um, could have been different and clearly was. Clearly was intentional to write B'nai Israel. Um, I could go on to this embalming piece, but maybe maybe you have something to add, and then I can go back to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I I realize there's, um, and this might be, I think it connects the piece that you're that you're talking about with the brothers in terms of it's okay. also a relationship piece. Um, I I I I don't know much. Um, Solevitch, I know Lonely Man of Faith, right? And I and that's and I know Adam One and Adam Two and some of Halachic Man. So you know our
2: rabbinical school curriculum is what.
1: (laughs) I mean, kind kind of parts I paid attention to. Those
2: are the parts Um, I also know, so I assume it's because I also had to read them.
1: Um, But he he has a beautiful essay that I was reading a little bit of because it linked to it in Safari, and I was checking it out a little bit. But it's it's called Coldo di Dofec, and it's talking about, you know, sort of like broader about the role of, of the Jew in the modern world, it seems. Um, and he he uses the Joseph story, like the, the conclusion, as a jumping off point. Um, and he talks about the tension basically between in-group and out-group. And he talks about how Joseph is an embodiment basically of how even when you're you're all the way in – Right, you can still be separate, and he he uses the character of Joseph, who, when the brothers come, that Joseph eats all by himself, right, because he's separate from his brothers, who he's not like. But then at the end, in terms of again this question of, um, why do his bones need to be carried out? Mm-hmm. Um, Sillavetsic so writes, and this is sort of like jo- Joseph speaking in Soloveitchik's words. Despite my greatness and glory, I'm tied to you and your existence, both in life and in death. Um, The singular inexplicable phenomenon of the individual clinging to the community and feeling alienated from the outside world was formed and forged in Egypt. Um, I know both of you are visual learners, so maybe I'll pull those words up uh, so you can actually read them yourselves instead of me reading them to you. Because uh, I know this about both of you. Um, but I, I think it's it, it's interesting to me how he's using that um, basically as a jumping-off point for thinking about you know, kind of um, a a format Can you see that? Did that work? Yeah yeah um like a formative piece of of jewish identity um so i i'd I'd be interested to hear what what either of you have to say about it because i think it's um i think it's an interesting thought within the context of the story and I think it's an interesting thought about jewish peoplehood generally well I think it's interesting at least
2: no, I'm just reading it i'm reading
1: it <laughs> <laughs> sorry right so the so that that basically it's it's an expansion. It's kol yisrael aravim right? That like we're all yeah. dependent on each other, with with also an eye towards sort of implicitly like and 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 not other people, right? Which Rabbi Shot sort of goes counter to what you were laying out in yeah. terms of the sense of what you were seeing as like a nice sort of intercultural exchange in terms of Pharaoh and Jacob and Joseph yeah. and all.
2: I I mean, I'd be interested to hear from Baruch has any thoughts on this. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know that I. Great. I don't know that. I don't know that I disagree with it, but I don't know that I want to buy into it. Um,
1: I think I think for me, what I appreciate about it is I, I like how it. I think generally I appreciate this, right? Like reading broader Jewish philosophy into narrative, I think is an interesting thing to try to do.
2: Yeah.
1: Regardless of what it says about peoplehood, right? Which, which I think there is what to wrestle with there. Yeah. I do like sort of feeding the philosophy back into the prism of the narrative. I like how Joseph is seeing himself as connected to the people around him right like that that hasn't always been something that's easy for him to do right he has he has usually seen himself as separate from his brothers like the mm-hmm. dreams and and all that jazz mm-hmm. so i like the idea that at the end of his life joseph is seeing that he's 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 connected to his family like it or not right and and that this is these are the people with whom he's inextricably connected always um and i think there is regardless of the ideas about peoplehood, um, I think there's something really beautiful about him coming to that point. Um, again, like in this deathbed scene, I think there's something really lovely there.
0: I think that's the element that struck me as well in hearing and reading this piece. Um, I think it wasn't so much about the peoplehood piece, but um, you know, this idea of no matter how far you travel from home, uh, no matter where life takes you as far as your elevated status in society Um, you still came from somewhere and that, that part is um, undeniably forever a part of you. And I think even just thinking about the image of how burial happened back then, um, gathering the bones into a cave, it was really significant to have the bones of the family all in the same cave. And, you know, there's something, I don't know, that strikes me as really touching about that um, spiritually significant um, and that this is hearkening back to that uh, ritual I um, again, he's not forgetting where he came from, despite, well, where he went and who he became. There's I always see. this connection.
1: Yeah. yeah. I. Rabbi Shatz, will you unscreen, unshare my screen? It's doing like a weird thing. I can't get out of it.
0: Um, I think um, I'll just add, you know, from a um, <laughs> psychosocial perspective, you know, as somebody who really enjoys um, family systems. Um, the idea that, you know, our, our family of origin is always a part of us, no matter, um, you know, how much we try to change that these, um, you know, these ties, no matter how much we work against them or work to incorporate them, they're a part of us. And so um, there's an element of embracing and accepting that, that piece of who we are. Um, so we can best um, use it in our lives. And I think there's like a piece of me that just thinks about family systems when I think of this as well. You know, just, you know Joseph is not denying who he is and where he comes from, which I think is a piece of um, closure in his narrative as somebody who came and clearly he was participating in Egyptian ritual. Um, and there's, you know, this kind of returning to selfhood that he's exhibiting in his final years of life, which to me shows kind of that um, emotional, spiritual integration of self um, which I think is where I would hope people are when they die.
1: It, it's interesting you mentioned that there because I saw a comment that um, the reason it's repeated, re- this caught Rabbi Schatz's eye so, so you can like hop back into this if you like, but I saw that the reason it's repeated that he lived for 110 years is to emphasize that – Rabbi Baruch going to your point about like staying in integrity with who he is at his core, b- because it's emphasizing that he's Yosef, right? Yosef lived 110 years. Yosef died at 110 years. He's not Saf, not right? Like he's, he's Yosef. Ultimately, that, that's who he really is. And he stays in integrity with that, which I, I don't know. Right. I don't know what Joseph was like walking around at 55 years old and how and how uh, clearly he was still an Israelite. Right. I'm 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 skeptical of that. Um, But but it does go nicely with this idea of um, being at at his root, like still connected to where he came from and, and who he is.
2: I can't help but think about the family that we choose versus the family that we're born into Uh, And how when he is mourning his father, he needs the family that he also chose to be around him because that's the family that gave him strength at a time when he didn't get to know his father and didn't get to know his his siblings. And then when it comes time for him to die, that his strength comes from the family that that he knows and that he kind of goes back, as you were saying, Rabbi Baruch, that it, he goes back to this place of origin and of knowing that 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 is and was important to him in terms of support and uh, feeling part of something. But that when it comes to legacy, that it goes back to what he actually came from rather than that which he chose to be part of. Um, and for some reason, that's striking me very powerfully right now. And I don't—I don't know if it's because we hear, unfortunately, of so many deaths right now that people are alone, um, and who would they choose to have around them if they could choose? Uh, yeah.
1: Though I—I I am thinking about the in, the inverse of this, which it, it's in—it's in the next partial, right? It's at the beginning of Schmote when a pharaoh comes who did not know yeah. Yosef, yeah. right? And so I, does that mean that he, that he didn't know that person or he didn't know Yosef as Yosef, right? Did he only know not Paneach? And so therefore he didn't have a sense of who that people were and where they came from and what like their origin was, mm-hmm. which sort of like to- toggles back into the sense of like, okay, so where where is... Yosef on the identity spectrum right when, when he leaves the world? How, how in and out an with Egypt...
2: Sorry. Or is it an important no, part no. for us to know that he didn't know Yosef because that pharaoh was one who was sentimental and caring and we're about to see all these terrible right. things. Right. Yeah. Or,
1: that, that he, or that he... Or that he like, couldn't appreciate the duality right, that he couldn't appreciate that someone who had that dual identity of being both, that he could only see him as one, and therefore he couldn't appreciate uh, a connection. back.
0: Yeah, I wanted to jump back to what um, uh, Rabbi Schatz's point uh, was, or at least how I understood where Rabbi Schatz was going and her kind of question about where he ended up. Um, versus where he was and the family he needed at the different points in his life. And I think the first thing I'll say is I wonder, you know, from a rabbinic standpoint, it's probably very important for the rabbis to um, feel and view Yosef as um, uh, connected to his the Jewish identity and the Jewish yeah. people. So I think having that conclusion is probably very thematically important to, um, you know, in the Torah, as far as Torah's narrative, and then also how the rabbis draw it out. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other piece for me, kind of going back to that, you know, the family you choose versus, you know, who you are, where you come from. I, you know, I think this ending um, with him, kind of the, the family he uh, was born into, coming back to that, you know, I just want to say, I don't think that negates the family he chose. Yeah. Um, and that both of those pieces, I think were such important parts of his life in the narrative, Um and so I just want to affirm, I think there's strength in both of those pieces of his identity.
2: Yeah. And I wonder, uh, to just add to your point, I agree. And I wonder if the reason that he brings together just his own family at the end is actually less for him and more for them. Um, that those people who he chose who, to be family would not have necessarily brought them strength. And so to bring them together in a way that they were not able to bring one another together as siblings to have them around. Um potentially, at least I would like to think, was more because of what he wanted for them and their future. Um, even if he, you know, his druthers would have been to have those other people who also influenced his life around as well. Um, it's interesting. It's also making me think of just like how we deal with um, funerals and shivas and all those kinds of things now because we we're so focused on the people who are living, right, and and rightfully so, um, in terms of what they need and what they, um, how they will feel most supported. But but it's it's possible that we forget that there were people that the deceased would have wanted nearby um, that we don't recognize as as important as they did. Um, we should have Rabbi Baruch every week. I'm thinking very deeply about these things. Um, okay, I have one more piece. Not that you don't make me think deeply all the time, Rabbi Shapiro. I realize how that just came off. Um, By the way, you can think- hear
1: that on the podcast. You, yeah. heard, you heard what Rabbi Schatz really thinks of me. <laughs>
2: yes, clear, clearly.
1: Um, I, I I also have a – see, Rabbi Schatz is – more than anything, we have yeah. learned how much over these past weeks, how much Rabbi Schatz – despite her protestations loves hasidut because it looks like she's about to share <laughs> another hasidut piece with us i also have one it's a it's a short piece that that got me very excited because it it resonates with an idea that i really really like um but i'll i'll defer i always defer to your hasidut first even if it edges out mine so well
2: great i w- i would say that i don't I don't say that I don't like Hasidut. I would say that I I generally don't understand Hasidut, and therefore I don't bring it. But when I understand a piece of it, I'm always very excited to be able to bring it because I usually enjoy what it has to say. Um... So I think Rabbi Shapiro is offering to teach a class in Hasidut if anyone wants to take it, and I will be there also.
1: Um, I think you're saying we'll turn our Parsha class into a Hasidut class that will team teach. No,
2: that is not what I said. Okay, my, my last piece, and then you can share yours and you can close with that. Um, my last piece has to do with this uh just the the parallel of how this embalming happens both to Jacob and to Joseph. Um so Joseph orders that that doctors are going to embalm his father and the language is is really fascinating to, to me at least it says vayahantu harufim et israel. So the doctors embalmed Israel and again I just think like using the word Israel there instead of Jacob could mean that we are trying to make the people everlasting, trying to um, contain that which uh, we believe should should um, be preserved. Uh, in, in the people forever as opposed to the actual person. And obviously there's all of that talk about did he actually die? And, uh, does Jacob actually die? Maybe not because we're embalming Israel, not Jacob. Um, so that's, that's very interesting. But then when Joseph dies, he is embalmed, but he's also put into a coffin, which is not typically how embalming works, um, back in those days. And, it also says be Mitzrayim, which is not so interesting if we're just remembering geographically where they are. But I think the word mitzraim is one that's fascinating just on its own. And so to bring it up as not only the last word of this piece, but the last word of the book, I think is, um, is very interesting. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just read this piece from the Ischpitzer. Um I'm glad that you're proud of me for bringing this piece. But it says, not only did we live in Mitzrayim, but we were in a Mitzrayim. So, Be-Mitzrayim. What does it mean to be in Mitzrayim? Mitzrayim is not only a geographical location. In the Kabbalistic and Hasidic traditions, it is also a state of consciousness. Specifically, a state of contracted consciousness, like a Mitzar. And then uh, the Ischbetser goes on to say, we were, so to speak, in a coffin in Mitzrayim, and therefore we needed to go through the plagues alongside the Egyptians. We too needed to experience the awe, the fear, the trepidation, so that we could be cleansed from those Mitzrayim parts of ourselves. So because it's the end of the book, and I also find it interesting that they use the word to tell us where Joseph um, remains, that Joseph didn't have such an easy time. And I wonder if the reason that it says that he was left B'mitzrayim is because there's still some of that constrictedness, um, some of that 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 he lives through that we then have to carry into the next part of our journey. Um, and so maybe the embalming of of him as a person being left in that place is to actually remind us that we need to take ourselves out of it, that we need to be the ones that we don't hold on to the preservation of that, that um, difficult piece of our story, but that we move then into into the next piece of us kind of releasing ourselves from that made-sar. Um So again, a little bit more drashi than I usually try to be, but I just found it quite interesting that the word was there when we obviously knew where he was and, and where he would be kept. So
1: that, uh, you might think it's extraneous, but... It's not right.
2: Right. And it also is so foreshadowing of schmote, right? It's all in rhyme, So why bring it up now when we know exactly what's about to happen? Um, And the next story we're going to hear about rhyme the whole time.
1: Yeah, right. I, I struggle with the theology of you, you are going to experience bad things so that for the sake of getting purified, right? Not, not, not my favorite theological stance. Um But definitely appreciate the sense of what are the obstacles are the importance of moving through them. So you can, you can make it up to the other side, right. Which I hear you picking up on. Um, I also found a piece from the Yishpritzer. So it's a, it's a double Maori Naim to close us out. Not one, but two A-Naim. And it's, it's a small, okay.
2: The folks listening,
1: I just had a very, speaking of, of two eyes, I just had an extremely weird experience where both rabbi Schatz and rabbi baruch did the exact same head shake at me at exactly the same time
2: it was necessary um,
1: that was a that was a, a disturbing moment um <laughs> It's it's part of a much larger piece that he talks about, but he makes a, what I found to be a really lovely connection because the word aron, so you were talking about me trying, I'll talk about aron, it's not usually used as coffin, right? It's it's almost never we don't hear about anyone else being buried in a coffin over the course of the Torah. We don't usually Hear about it in that context, we usually hear about it in terms of the tabernacle, right? The, the holy, right? And its construction, how it's carried through the desert, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't usually hear about it as a coffin. And what he does is he actually connects it with um, the piece um, from the Talmud that talks about how both the whole tablets and the broken tablets were placed in the Ark Feather, which is a piece that that I always love. And he talks about it. Um, right. That even, even the pieces that are broken need to be in the ark, just like the tablet. Right. But I, I was thinking about that in the context of Joseph himself. Right. We didn't, we didn't talk, Rabbi Shads, we didn't talk a lot about like the character of Joseph yeah. as we went through the, uh, uh, you know, Joseph is referred to by the rabbis as like Joseph Hatzadik, right. The, Joseph, the righteous, which my response is usually, yeah, may, maybe right like like there are there are some ways in which joseph was a really successful person right both in terms of what he accomplished and in terms of what he worked through psychologically and spiritually yeah. there are also some ways in which he's a very flawed character in the narrative right mm-hmm. and so for me like wrapping up joseph being placed in the aron with this symbol of the whole tablets and the broken tablets being put in there together, I think is a beautiful way of wrapping up Yosef's narrative, right? This sense that he comes to the end of his life and he's sort of able to, in his fullness, like finally be put to rest. Mm. Um, And I just think that that's, that's a really evocative image in terms of like why Aron? Well, maybe because yes, it was the burial practice, but it also carries that resonance in terms of um, everything that gets placed in the our own that we then carry with us, so I thought that was a nice a nice way of reframing what it is.
2: you could have gone first because that's a very nice piece to then add to the meat-strying piece that right we're about to go through all of this service um, and to be able to carry that which is that which we're holding on to right to give us support or whatever it is that we need. Um, that that could be in our our
1: own. And that the way we make it through a challenging time isn't just by bringing one part of ourselves, but right, right the totality of who we are.
2: Yeah. Good job, Shapiro. Thanks, great. shots. All right. You want to close this out? Unless, oh, uh, Rabbi Baruch has herself unmuted, so maybe she wanted to say something. I just want to say
0: thank you for having me. It's been fun um, spinning in the land of Torah with you all.
2: It's always lovely to have you, and I'm glad that I got to pull a fast one on Rabbi Shapiro. Oh,
1: a fast one indeed. You did pull Rabbi Shatz. Uh, thank you, Rabbi Baruch. You should also know, Rabbi Baruch, that Rafi had a good nap. He just woke up. Um, now,
2: as far as everybody on the podcast. <laughs> yeah,
1: you should know. Rafi had a good nap. On, on December 23rd, everyone can know. Rafi had a good nap. Um, thank you, Rabbi Baruch, for joining us. Thank you, Rabbi Shatz, as always. For well, This was a much more focused conversation than we had yesterday with the three rabbinical students. So,
2: Yeah, though, they gave us very good drashot, So They did. It was, ni- it was nice to have a little tangents here and there.
1: It was. We are blessed with many sources of Torah in our community. Hmm. Um, I don't know, Rabbi Shatz, do you want to you clo- close this out? You want me to do it? Yeah, go ahead. So, I mean... Again, hello from the past. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, look, I think the the one, two of, of those last two pieces hopefully give us all something to kind of fortify ourselves with as we move into this next year, um, that we can bring forth the totality of who we are and know that we're going through a tough time and, and weather it as best we can as individuals and weather it as a community so that we can make it through this narrow time. Um, into something much more expansive, to say the least. May we may we move out of the narrowness of our Zoom squares into the openness of actually being able to see each other soon. Amen. Chazak, chazak, venit chazek. What a nice
2: way
1: to end. Oh, thanks, Rabbi Schatz. You're
2: welcome. Um, Shabbat Shalom, because you'll be getting this on the show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Shabbat Shalom a week and a half from now.